Okay, so we are, we're in Luke chapter 8. Um, if you want to go ahead and find your way there in your Bible or on your app, Luke chapter 8. Uh, this is our last message. Um, so in this part of the True Story journey, we've been doing a series called True Story. If this is your first time here, real quickly, here's why it's called True Story. There was a really wealthy man named Theophilus. If you're going to have a lot of money, I mean, if you're going to have a name like Theophilus, you probably want to make sure you have a lot of money, right? So you don't get picked on. But um, he was a man named Theophilus, and he said this to Luke. So look, all the people that have, heard, that have told us these amazing stories about Jesus are starting to die. And so I'm thinking about following Jesus, want to make sure that he is who he says he is. And so what would you do? Look, if I funded your journey, would you take the time to go around and, and interview all these eyewitnesses and record their stories and just investigate for me if what we've heard about Jesus is true? And so in your Bible, you've got a book named Luke. You have another book called Acts. And so those two, those two books in your Bible are the report that Luke brought back to Theophilus. We say hashtag true story, right? You can say crazy stuff in this culture, crazy outlandish stuff. But if you just end it with hashtag true story, they're like, oh yeah, that really happened. And this, this is true. Everything we're reading in Luke is true. So this week we'll finish this up. Luke chapter 8 will be in... Um, Verses 26 through 39, and then we'll take the month of July to do Breathe, and then we'll come back in August and, and jump back into it. We are ending it with a bang. Um, this is a fantastic story. If you're new to the Bible and you think the Bible's boring, today will change your mind. Um, this, is a, this, this story has everything. This has got like naked people. It's got pigs. It's got demons. It's got crazy townspeople. There's some screaming. Um, we're trying to think of like titles, right? So I kind of came up with um, demons and bacon and screams. Oh my, if you're a Wizard of Oz fan, you get that. Um, Parker thought When Pigs Fly would be a good title. I think that's good as well. I, I almost went with demons with a side of bacon, please. But um, it's just, there's all this stuff in there, right? There's all this stuff in there. You're going to love it. Um, most of the time, we don't talk a lot about demons because one of two things happens. If you talk a lot about demons, either people think that, um, they, people think that, that you're crazy because you're talking about it or they get freaked out because you're talking about it. We don't typically talk a lot about demons, but Jesus didn't shy away from it. It's in our passage in Luke chapter 8. Um, some passages we take our time taking off, but not this one because it's like a rocket. You'll see that in just a second. I'm going to read it to you, um, and then we'll, I'll give you five observations, a big idea, and then we'll, um, we'll head out. Let me just read it to you. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. That means that there's a graveyard in the town and that was his house. When he saw Jesus, sorry, just middle note, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Like teenagers are like, hey, let's go to the graveyard. It'd be scary. <laughs> yeah, when naked dudes there, absolutely. Tough crowd. <laughs> when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had driven, been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. If you think it's crazy now, it's gonna get crazy. Here we go, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. 
And he gave them permission. This may be why bacon's unhealthy. I'm not sure. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. I forgot your note sheets. If you're not fanning, I'm going to give you five observations, five things that I think we can learn from this story about a crazy dude and some pigs. All right, here we go. Here's number one. And uh, tired parents, raise your hand. Tired parents. Tired grandparents, raise your hand. Tired people, just raise your hand. Tired people in the house. We got, okay, we got tired people in the house. This point is for you, okay? This point is for you. And I love this point. God's best moments often happen during our worst. Yeah, we're like, sign me up, right? God's best moments often happen during our worst. It's so easy for us to read this story and be one week removed from the story that we talked about last week. But for Jesus and the disciples, remember what they just came through, right? They just came through this storm. It was such a huge storm that fishermen who were on the sea all the time were freaking out. And so Jesus calms the storm and they land. And I don't know how you would be if you were on a boat and you almost died and then you saw a man who says he's God say, peace be still and the water stops. But for me, I'd like a little bit of a break, right? I'd just like to take some time, debrief if we could, grab some burgers, some fries, talk about it. But as soon as they get to shore and they step foot on the shore, they're met by this crazy demon-possessed man. Jesus probably would have liked some quiet time. Instead, he gets time to minister. More about that man later, but for now, can we just acknowledge this? God's best moments often happen during our worst. And I think there's a reason for that. It's not because God's trying to make us look bad. It's because God is showing himself to be great. Our weakness is such a good backdrop for his strength. I wish it was some other way, don't you? Like, I wish we could be strong and have our best days and he gets all the glory. But typically when we're at our best, we forget that he's better. But when we're at our worst, when we're dog tired, and we don't feel like doing anything for Jesus, he shows up and he does amazing things. So don't wait until you're strong to offer yourself to God. Offer yourself to God now because he's strong. Our, our worst moments, they just set the stage for God to do great things. Here's number two. Any of you um, ever, you can't raise your hand because you don't want your kids to know you did this. Do you ever play chicken in a car? I said, don't tell anybody, right? You're like, yeah, I did that. I'm here to tell about it too, right? Here's number two. Never play chicken with demons. Never play chicken with demons. What, what do we make of this demon-possessed man? Um, he's, he's naked. He lives in a graveyard. Um, here's what I take away, just a few things. Demonic power is real. 
Um, I'm going I'm to say this. I've, I was, um, when I was a youth pastor, I was at a middle school camp, middle school camp. And I still remember to this day a night that we prayed over a middle school girl. Now, I don't know. Some middle school girls are big and strong, but most middle school girls are like Sydney, right? Just sweet, you know, oh, you're so cute, you know. And four grown men, because I was one of them on her wrist, were trying to hold her down and pray over her, and she was lifting us up off the ground. Now, either she's on steroids or something else is going on, right? Demonic power is real. Now, I told you earlier on, we don't talk about demonic power a lot because we either get freaked out about it or you think I'm a freak for telling you that story that I experienced, right? But demonic power is real. Jesus didn't look at him and go, oh, you just got a problem. No, it's real. It's real. We don't want to write it off as it's a sickness, it's a disease, it's an illness, it's a whatever. Oh, that's Bible times, but if they were as advanced as we are in medicine, that would never have happened. No, no, no. Demonic power is real. If you've been on a mission trip to any other country, you've probably seen it. In America, we just mask it. It's also something that we should not play with. Demonic power is not something to be played with. Teenagers, preteens. I'm going to sound like an old fart, but Ouija boards are not a game. They are real. It is not something to be toyed with. I'm going to sound like an older farter. Wait. I like the way that sounded too. We play with demonic power all the time. We go to movies about demons. I like movies too. We play with demonic power all the time. It's not something to be played with. Don't play chicken with demons. Let me say this as well. It is real. It is not something to be toyed with. It is also something that you cannot be possessed by when you're a believer. Okay? You might need to write this down. I want to make sure you get this. You need to know the piece of that. As believers, we cannot be possessed by demonic power. But let me just say this from Scripture, but we can partner with it. Matthew 16, 23, Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me. Now, Peter wasn't even possessed. He's following Jesus. But he, was, he partnered with Satan in that moment. He had Satan's agenda in mind more than Jesus's. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy I have this fantastic message. I'll preach it someday, and it's called this. Who needs the devil when I've got you? And the point of it is this. The thief comes, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have a real enemy who wants to do that. But in the church, so often, we steal, kill, and destroy one another. He doesn't have to do anything. It's very possible for you to partner with demonic power. Don't. So people tend to make too much or too little of demons. Do you know people that make too much of demons? I don't have time to tell the story now. I've told it in previous sermons. Um, maybe I'll share it again sometime. But I actually had a woman pray a pygmy out of me. Or, or, I mean, or so she thought. She told me that she did. I don't know what happened, but it wasn't that. She was a woman who saw demons everywhere. Apparently even saw little pygmies come out of my body and run through the woods. <laughs> it's like, oh, whatever, okay. But there are also people who make too little of demons, right? And you might be one of those people right now. So some of you are like 
Finally, man, Paul's talking about demons. Hallelujah. Man, this church is going places. And some of you are like, I'm going to find another church. Because Paul's talking about demons. We make too much or too little. So I'm going to give you a really simple strategy when it comes to dealing with demonic power. Instead of making too much or too little of demons, just make a lot about Jesus. Make much of Jesus. I don't worry about demons. I don't worry about Satan because I'm making much of Jesus. And what we'll find in this story is that Jesus had no trouble with demons. Don't try to convince yourself or convince the demons that you're stronger than them. Just point them back to the cross and remind them that Jesus is. I love Colossians 2.15. I'm going to paraphrase it. Colossians 2.15 says this, that Jesus made a public spectacle of evil powers at the cross. And you'll never go wrong when you feel like there might be some evil hanging around, just reminding that evil about the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus said, come here, boy, I'm gonna whip you. And he did. He made a public spectacle. He made a fool of Satan at the cross. Remind him of that all the time. So what happens when we play with evil? When we play chicken with demons, here's what happens. We start to accept evil as normal. And that leads to number three. Here's the third thing I noticed in this passage. The presence of Jesus shakes the preferences of men. The presence of Jesus shakes the preferences of men. Um, I want to, I got to make sure you get this, okay? When I was reading through this, it just blew my mind. Like, make sure you see the way the town was when Jesus got there, okay? You got a picture of town. And there's a graveyard, right? And in the graveyard is crazy man that never wears clothes, okay? So I don't know, this is Albemarle. We don't want to name names, but there's, there's people in Albemarle that we all kind of know, like, don't go near them, right? Every town's got these people. Parents warned them about, the, like, kids, don't play on such and such street. When I was growing up in um, really, really young, before we moved down to North Carolina, we were in Philadelphia, and we lived, um, my best friend lived in this house, and I lived in this house, and the meanest people ever in the history of life lived in between us. Like, you know, if you touched, if you stepped on their grass, they would kill you, right? My, my parents said all the time, like, don't just cross the street and go over and come back, you know, like, don't go near the house, right? If you've, if you've lived in small towns, you know where the haunted houses are. You know where the haunted places are. We, what, what I want you to see is in this city, in this town, they had come to accept Normal life included a crazy, naked, demon-possessed man in the tombs. Because right next to the, to the graveyard where the crazy, naked man was, was a, was a bunch of people tending to pigs. So this goes on all the time, right? They got the pigs over here, and then over here is crazy, naked man. And then right nearby all that is a town full of women and children. And everybody's okay with it. They had learned to accept the crazy, naked, demon-possessed man as part of normal life. When we play chicken with demons, we accept evil as part of normal life. In the kingdom of God, it is not part of normal life. Now, I get it. We live in a world that's fallen, and we're, this is not heaven. You know that, right? This is not. You're like, I know, it feels more like hell. It's kind of hot in here, right? This is not heaven. There's evil in the world. We see it every night on the news. But there will be no evil in heaven. When God's perfect will is accomplished, there is no evil. There's not room for evil in his kingdom. We don't accept it as normal because it's not. But these people did. That was the status quo. 
And so when Jesus stepped off the boat and he encountered this man who was demon-possessed, crazy and naked, and Jesus cast the demon out, he disrupted the status quo, right? Suddenly there were no more pigs. They were in the water drowning. Suddenly there's not, the crazy naked man is like, not crazy naked, he's sitting in his right mind and he's dressed. And the people's response to that was, hey, Jesus, could you leave, please? The presence of Jesus shakes the preferences of men. Jesus was not like him. He didn't accept demonic presence. He acknowledged it, he addressed it, and he exercised his authority over it. And in the end, the demons that were driving man crazy drove pigs over a cliff. People got upset about the pigs and asked Jesus to leave. We were talking about this in the car yesterday. You read this story and like there's, we know this from like Matthew and Mark also record this story. If you study those, those accounts, what you'll find is that in one of the accounts it says, and the, the people were watching the pigs came back and told about how the guy was delivered from demons and also about the pigs. Like they made sure they told everybody like, he ruined the pigs. And it was, well, that's so weird, isn't it? And I said, well, it's not weird at all. Like, did you see what happened when the boy fell in with the gorilla? Suddenly the outrage is at the parent instead of being glad that the boy's safe. This is, this is our culture, right? Like our priorities are so jacked. We're more concerned about an animal. Oh, poor gator. What? It's crazy. But it's because we've accepted evil in our culture. It's become a part of who we are and what we do. And when Jesus steps into that, when you carry Jesus into that culture, I'm telling you, the presence of Jesus through you is going to shake all that up. And people will not be happy about it. We want the fairy tale ending. I get it. But they won't be happy about it. These people weren't either. They're like, we was, it was better Jesus when he was crazy and naked in the tombs. Because at least he was there. At least we knew where he was. And we could eat bacon. They preferred bacon over the man's freedom. I'm going to shoot straight with you, okay? Some of us are flat out afraid of the authority of Jesus because of how it may disrupt the lives that we've come to love. We are flat out afraid of the authority of Jesus. I don't know if I want Jesus to have authority in my life because he might mess it up. And I have come to love my sin. I have come to love the way that I have my life perfectly managed. And Jesus might mess that up. The people in this town were trying to manage evil. But Jesus was on a mission to destroy evil. He doesn't want to manage evil in your life. So their approach, and this is sad, their approach kept that poor man naked and in a tomb. Which brings us to the fourth observation. Two more. You're doing great. Verse 29, let me read it to you and I'll give you this, this fourth one. Verse 29, I think this is so interesting. It says this, For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man many times. It had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and, had driven by, and was driven by the demon in solitary places. Being free and living free are not the same. And this is, 
I wish I was more pastoral here. I wish I was more of a Bible scholar. I, I feel totally inadequate to explain what I'm saying, but I'm going to try, okay? And, and what I really hope happens out of this passage, we could spend so much time. There are so many more than five observations here. I hope that this just whets your appetite and you go home and you read more and like you send me messages this week and go, I got 10 more observations and they're better than your five. They probably will be. Email me. I'd love to see them. Because sometimes we just make these observations like, okay, how, how does that work practically? Like being free and living free aren't the same. I don't, I don't fully know exactly because you're going to ask me, then how can I really be free? How can I really live free? All I know is that this dude, he got free a lot. They chained him up and he broke free, but he couldn't stay free. He needed something besides what they were doing to truly live free. I think... Maybe the saddest part of a community that manages evil is that it keeps people from finding true freedom from addictions and sins that haunt them. I mean, if we just manage evil as a church, we talk about it every now and then, we kind of keep it locked away, then you'll never really experience freedom. John eight thirty six says that when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. So while we might not know everything about how he does that, here's what I do know. He did not look the other way when this man approached him. And he didn't chain him back in the graveyard. Jesus addressed it. He, he even asked the demon its name and he called it out. It's like, do you hear voices in your head? Not, not the weird ones. <laughs> do you, when you're reading the Bible, do you like hear the voices of the characters? Like deep and high and like there's a woman right it's like when Jesus says um who are you and and the answer is legion like how do you hear that right probably not redneckish right it's not southern legion right (laughs) I mean I hear like deep right you know like like the kind of stuff just shakes you to your core like oh you just said legion I just wet my pants right that's what I hear But here's what I want you to get. Jesus addressed it. Part of living free is addressing the evil. And I think that's one thing that we typically don't want to do. We don't really want to call it out. I know I sound horrible when I'm saying all this. I sound like I'm mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I just want you to get this. You and I will never know complete freedom if we're only willing to acknowledge partial problems. We'll never know complete freedom if we're only willing to acknowledge partial problems. Let me give you a couple of examples. Please don't throw things at me, okay? Just this, these are some examples that we can all relate to. People that say, can you help me pay a bill, but please don't help me handle my money. These are people who want to be free for a moment, but they don't want to live free forever. Can you please take care of this crisis, but don't teach me how to handle my money better? That was easy for y'all because all of you were like, I'm good with my money. So we'll dig a little deeper. (laughs) Don't throw things. Can you help me fix my marriage? But don't tell me to stop looking at porn. Ow. Can you help me manage my sin so I don't have to deal with the consequences of it as often? But I don't really want to get rid of it. See how we do that? 
It's crazy, isn't it? Like we read this story and go, that's so weird. Like I would never be naked in a tomb and I would never like get chained up and break. We do it all the time. We have momentary feelings of freedom. But they don't last because we don't allow Jesus with authority to address the real issue in our lives. True freedom comes when we step into the light fully. So that was horrible. Like tell the person next to you, that stunk. But the next part's gonna be better. Here's the fifth observation. And I love this. This is a great way to end it. Because what I just mentioned just now, I might, I might you know, you're, I talked about money and I talked about marriage and porn and you're like, well, I don't, really re- I don't really relate to any of those. But you've got one, right? You're already thinking about it. There's one in your head right now and you're thinking, man, I do that all the time in this area of my life and it's a mess. And here's what I want you to get. The last observation is that messy people make the best messengers. And I love this. I love this. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Messy people make the best messengers. So after it's all said and done and they tell Jesus, just leave, right? Get Get out of our town. Leave us alone. We're gonna go buy more pigs. Just leave. We wanna get things back the way they were. And as Jesus gets in the boat, what does he hear from the man? The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here's what I want you to get, okay? Messy situations, messy relationships, messy sin, messy addiction. They're messy, but messy people make the best messengers. You've got a mess somewhere in your past, Maybe you got a mess in your present. Look what happened to this crazy, naked, demon-possessed tomb dweller. Four things. You just jot them down. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, okay? He was changed by Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus. And he was courageous for Jesus. Yes, those were all C words. He was changed by Jesus. He went from naked to clothed. He went from restless to still. He went from bound to free. He was changed by Jesus. I don't know what your mess is, but I'm telling you, Jesus has the power and the authority to change you, to change you. I tell my testimony all the time. I cussed like a sailor. I was full of rage. I hit holes into the wall. I was depressed and suicidal. That was who I was. And if you tried to describe that person to my wife, she'd be like, I don't know who you're talking about. Because Jesus has changed me. I am different than I was. This man has changed. He steps into the mess and Jesus changes us. And because he was changed by Jesus, he was committed to Jesus. Verse 38, I love it. He begged Jesus to go with him. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you begged to stay with Jesus. That's just real life. Can we be just real life honest, right? When we first started the church, what I love to hear people say was, I love going to church where I get up on Sundays and go, I get to go to church today. Four and a half years later, we don't hear that as much, right? It's just real life, we're tired. When was the last time you begged to go with Jesus? When you, you know when you begged to go to Jesus, with Jesus? Not because you're going to do work. 
You beg to go with Jesus because you are so in love with him because of how he has changed you. This man was changed. He begged to go with Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. And he was commissioned by Jesus. Jesus said no. He said, absolutely not. You're not coming with us. But he told the man what to do. He gave him a commission. He said, you go home and tell everybody what I've done. Go tell, the, go tell everybody what I've done for you. And so the man did. And I love that last point. He was courageous for Jesus. Verse 39, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Who was he telling? The same people that told Jesus to leave. Anybody old enough to remember Phil Donahue? Yeah. If you're not, just, you know, Google it. Phil Donahue, it was like, if you were a Christian on the Phil Donahue show, you were like, it was like going to a den alliance, right? I mean, it was like red meat. They would rip you up. That's how this guy was. That's how he was. Um, today it would be any, any uh, sold-out follower of Jesus on any major network news show, right? That's what it would be like. they just rip you up, eat you up. He went back to the same town that was getting rid of Jesus. Like, just leave Jesus. And he went back to that same town and told those people all that Jesus had done for him. Hey, hey guys, that guy, Jesus, that guy that, that killed all the pigs, the guy you didn't like, you told him to leave, he changed me. And I'm here to tell you all that he did for me. Maybe you shouldn't have asked him to leave. I don't know how well that was received. But I know that he did it because he was courageous for Jesus. So often, and maybe this is you, so often we want to get our life cleaned up. We clean up our mess and then we leave and go tell our story to people that don't know us. Let me tell you this. The power of your story is when you tell the end of it to the people who have seen the beginning of it. That's the power of your story. I'm not gonna call everybody out, but I've lived here long enough to know that when you say the name Jay Phillips, people will go, which one? Not because he's crazy, but because there was an old Jay Phillips that's nothing like the new Jay Phillips. Well, if Jay Phillips had gotten cleaned up by Jesus and moved away, then they never see the end of the story. We're so, we're so tempted to escape for our own pride that people never see the end of the story. Man, tell the end of the story to the people who saw the beginning of it. Let them see what Jesus has done. I love Genesis 41, 52. Just jot it down. It says this, that God makes us fruitful in the land of our affliction. The place that we struggle the most is where he makes us the most fruitful. So go back to the people who have seen the mess in your life and tell them the message of what Jesus has done for you. So how do we wrap up this, right? Um, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a, a prayer line and I'm gonna pray for all you demon-possessed people, right? That's what we're gonna do. It's gonna be great. We got some pigs outside. We're gonna bring them in. We're going to cast the demons into the pigs, and we're going to chase the pigs and cook them for lunch. It's going to be great, right? Nah. I'm going to give you a big idea. It's a real simple big idea. I hope that you find, find joy and power in this. And it just says this simply, God can overpower whatever overpowers us. God can overpower whatever overpowers us. So let me ask you this. What are you facing? What has got you chained to the tombs? What have you tried and tried and tried to get free of and you've been free, but you haven't lived free? 
What is it in your life? What is so messy that even other people are trying to help you manage it more than they're trying to help you be free from it? What is that thing that you've decided will always be with you? I'll always be an addict. I'll always do whatever. What evil are you accommodating instead of eradicating? Can we just end this morning praying and inviting Jesus to step into those very areas of our lives and to do in our life what he did for this man in Luke chapter 8? Can we just trust him to step into those areas of our lives and have him overpower these things that are overpowering us? So I want you to close your eyes. And I'm just going to end this morning praying that for you. Now listen, if you want more prayer when I'm done, you just come meet me right up here. I'd love to pray with you. But I want to pray with you right now. Father, I thank you for this truth that you overpower whatever overpowers us. You know, this is one of those sermons where I could name all kinds of things and some people will relate to them. It's so much better just right now in this moment to allow your Holy Spirit to put your finger on these areas in our own lives. I know I've got these areas, God, in my life. Things that it feels like we'll never truly be free from. But if we learn anything in Luke chapter 8, in this passage, we're learning this. You have authority, Jesus. We saw last week you've got authority over storms. Today we see you've got authority over demons and evil. I mean, that's a great message for our culture today. It's a great message for those of us in this room who are messy and who have jacked up stuff in our lives that we can't get free from. And we invite you now not to come into our lives and help us manage that evil, but we invite you to step into our lives and destroy it. That you would do in our lives what you did for this man. That you would acknowledge the sin in us. You would address it. And you would exercise your authority over it. We give you permission, God, to speak truth to us, to show us in the light the things that are dark, and to heal us, God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.